From the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, this is the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Every week, our fellows chat with leaders in the technology and internet law and policy space on recent developments and exciting topics such as privacy, internet governance, cybersecurity, tech legislation, and more. I'm your host, Rima Musa, and I'm a member of the fourth cohort of Foundry Fellows. The Foundry is a collaborative organization for internet law and policy professionals who are passionate about disruptive innovation. Welcome back to the Tech Policy Grind. It's an exciting time for the podcast as we're now on the air with new episode releases every week. This week, Foundry Fellow Mary Bagdasarian unpacks the world of internet governance with Dustin Loop, co-chair of the Internet Governance Forum, or IGF USA, and Jeremy Bernick, a co-organizer of the inaugural Youth IGF USA. Keep listening to learn about the IGF, how it's organized, and how you can get involved. Hi, Jeremy and Dustin. Welcome to Tech Policy Grind. How are you today? Doing great. Doing really great. Nice to see you, Mary. Thanks for taking the time to join. And so today we are discussing all things internet governance. And my first question will be to Dustin. Um, So what is an internet governance forum, or as we call it, IGF, and how all of this started in U.S.? Yeah, thanks, Mary. Thanks for having having us on the podcast. Um, so I think to properly tee up uh, what the Internet Governance Forum in the U.S. is, I have to provide a little bit of history in terms of uh, where the concept of the Internet Governance Forum came from and the discussions at the time that it emerged out of. So... Um, an internet governance forum or the internet governance forum is uh, it's a global multi-stakeholder process that convenes members of uh, government, academia, the private sector, civil society, and technical experts to come together and have uh, open, vigorous dialogue without the threat of binding outcomes, which allows for more open discussions around a lot of the issues facing the internet currently and the evolution of the internet. And so this emerged uh, out of the World Summit for the Information Society, which was convened by the United Nations um, back in 2003 and 2005. And at that time, there were a lot of discussions around the role of the U.S. in ICANN and the domain name system. And there were a lot of discussions around the role of government and multilateral institutions in taking an active role in how policies and um, governance was crafted around the global internet. And in this process, um, what emerged was this concept of the Internet Governance Forum, which uh, was uh, a little bit of a unique way for there to be this global gathering that involved governments, but took a different approach than the typical multilateral um Uh, forum that we might see in a lot of other issues. And so the um, emerging out of this was the first IGF in uh, 2006. And then we saw over a period of a few years after that, this, I guess, unplanned outcome of the Global Internet Governance Forum which was these organic, independent, national and regional forums cropping up and facilitating local conversations around all of the same issues that were being discussed at the global forum, but taking 
that and coordinating that national or regional perspective in a way that it could be better represented at the global level. And so um, that that trend, IGF USA was not the first, but we were earlier on in the process. The first uh, Internet Governance Forum USA uh, conference was held in 2009. And we've held it uh, every year since then, with the exception of uh, one year. And it has just been a, a space for us to come together and identify which issues are most important to us each year and facilitate these multi-stakeholder discussions nationally and figure out where to take those discussions next. Um, and how to incorporate them into the global conversation and how to incorporate them to other aspects of the conversations that are happening here in the U.S. Thank you, Dustin, for working us through uh, the history of Internet Governance Forums. And as you mentioned, it seems that these initiatives um, emerged organically and were aimed at um, shifting the paradigm of having more multilateral um, governance models in this space. But I guess my next question is, how do people, like ordinary people, get involved um, in these initiatives? Um, and how did you two get involved in this? And I would like to hear Jeremy's story first. Sure. Thank you, Mary. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, and I just wanted to say that, Dustin, that was a really, really good uh brief history of a very complicated group of people. Um, so well done. Um, I got involved in a more um, maze-like way. Um, I was working at a company called Cloudflare that uh, had hired me as an intern on their product management team. Uh, and instead of actually doing the work that I should have be been doing that summer, um, I was watching some of my colleagues uh, be involved in other internet governance uh, organizations. Uh, the one in particular was the Internet Engineering Task Force, uh, which is responsible for the development and standardization of some of the core protocols and future protocols uh, that allow for the internet uh, to be interoperable uh, and standardized globally for everybody. And I thought to myself, this is so fascinating that all these people are not being paid necessarily to be here, but out of goodwill are interested in keeping these systems intact. And what does that mean for the potential fragility of those systems? Uh, are we at all threatening the stability of this global public good uh, by having um, these <laughs> good Samaritans of sorts, digital good Samaritans, uh, putting so much effort towards these systems? Um, and I was in college at the time, and so my internship ended, uh, but I, I remained very stuck on this idea of uh, the fragility and interoperability of this global public good being maintained by a bunch of uh, volunteers, per se. Uh, and what that led me to was doing some more research, discovering the Internet Society, which historically has seems to be sort of the engine of advocacy and awareness uh, for both existing and new people in the space of internet governance. Um, I applied for the Internet um, Youth Ambassador Program, uh, and I was uh, admitted, and I did a comprehensive three-month um, uh, fellowship class, and I ended up attending uh, the IGF in Katowice in uh, 2021. Um, and so through all of those machinations, um, I realized, you know, internally we had an event in the U.S. And I think honestly what I did was I, I went to a steering committee meeting and I tried to figure out who was in charge. And I think I just <laughs> privately uh, messaged Dustin and I said, hey, what can I do to be more involved? I think this is really cool. And from there, the relationship has been awesome and uh, led to the Youth Internet Governance Forum for the U.S. Um, and hopefully future uh, opportunities as well. So, 
That sounds wonderful, Jeremy. And as someone uh, involved in this space, I could also attest that everyone's journey to this internet governance ecosystem is unique and uh, quite interesting. What about you, Dustin? How did you get involved? Yeah, I can completely um, agree with what you just said, Mary. Everyone's journey is uh, very unique in this space. Um, And that's true of those just entering the internet governance world and those that have been there since the beginning. Um, I don't know that I can count the number of times that I've been talking to somebody about how they got started and it all began with a degree in English literature or um, one of my favorite stories is about uh, someone who was involved in the punk rock scene that got involved in internet governance because the internet is punk rock and um and there's just so many stories like that, and it really contributes to this uh, diverse and also eccentric space and community um, that, as Jeremy alluded to, includes um, a lot of a lot of volunteers contributing time to make all of these things happen. And um, I do think that there's a, an important conversation in there around the sustainability of that model but also the the equity in that model because um not everyone has the capacity to volunteer their time especially when that involves um the amount of time that it takes but also the the travel and certainly we've increased the capacity to engage virtually but also, uh, there's still um, that benefit of, of being together in person and having those conversations in the hall and building relationships by uh, being in the same space. And so um, anyone can get involved, um, but I do think that there are important conversations that we need to have that ensure that um, it's not just the voices that have the resources to be in the room that get to contribute, but that we really uh, elevate the voices and find ways to enable the participation that uh, ensures more more equity in that um, in, in this space. Um, so, sorry that was a, a long tangent um, preamble to my story, but um, I got involved in the space. Um, I think it was about eight years ago now, and um, I was somewhat freshly out of college uh, and had really gravitated towards some of the courses while I was uh, in school that focused on the internet and what that means for uh, policy and what that means for our society and was fortunate enough to have some really uh, uh, weird and creative professors who really dug into some of the quirky aspects of the internet and highlighted all all of the um, capacity that it had to empower individuals and communities to drive change. And, and so that was always in my mind as a possibility but, um, you know, uh, like anyone coming out of school, uh, I was just looking for an opportunity. And when I was searching for jobs, uh, I found this posting for this little nonprofit called ICANN Wiki. Um, and it's, at the time, it was just uh, two of us working um, to document and demystify the world of the internet corporation for assigned names and numbers that creates uh, the policies that uh, govern the domain name system and 
And that organization also is home to the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, which um, also um, acts as the managing registry for uh, the IP addresses that the Internet uses. So essentially, this this entity uh, is responsible for managing the Internet's unique identifiers. and and this is one of those spaces where um, it takes years to understand how all of these um, quirky, unique processes actually work. And so it was getting to look at it, observe it, and... Uh, write about it and help demystify it for others was really a unique opportunity to assess all of the scene and um, and dive in deep in certain issues. And as I was doing so, I got drawn to the Internet Governance Forum USA and the Washington, D.C. chapter of the Internet Society. And so I just... Uh, raised my hand to uh, get involved in addition to my work in the ICANN community. And um, the rest is really kind of history there. Like, I didn't know what I was getting into, but uh, here we are all this time later, and I still find myself uh, co-chairing the IGF USA and uh, (laughs) running the DC chapter of the Internet Society. Another example of a fascinating story. Um, And it's so interesting that the three of us uh, ended up in this space from completely different um, spaces. uh, And still, um, it's a place that draws us. And as Jeremy mentioned, this is done most of the time voluntarily uh, as, you know, free volunteer work. all, all these people in the community uh, are so I would say more mission driven um, that is why it's so interesting to be in this space uh, and you can learn so much from everyone um, doing this important work so I think uh, I would love to focus more on uh, IGF USA and especially IGF USA 2022 and uh, let's start with um, the organizing process so how how it works usually. How do you prepare for uh, the next edition of an IGF USA and how was it different, if at all, this year because it was a hybrid event? Yeah, thank you for that question. Before I answer it, just want to um, encourage anyone listening as, as we describe this process of organization, I would like to flag that it is open to anyone that would like to contribute to the process. So if this sounds like uh, something that you're interested in, would very much encourage you to uh, go on to igfusa.us and uh, sign up for our listserv so that we can loop you into the planning process um, as we look toward IGF USA 2023 now. Um, But uh, also want to talk about the planning process in general and what it looked like in 2022. Um, Our our model of organizing for each year's event has largely remained the same, um, at least over the course of my tenure, where we open up the process very early in the year, typically in January, to the entire community. And, and the community is this amorphous, informal uh, concept. So really, it's open to anyone that wants to send in ideas. But we basically put out this call and say, we want to know what the most important issues are that are currently facing the internet and its its evolution and what are the areas that you're most focused on and um 
we don't ask for fully fully written proposals. We really just want to get a sense in a free form manner where people are focused and what their concerns and and hopes are. And then we sit down with the all of the submissions that we get and figure out where some of that connective tissue is and try to identify some trends and organize it into uh, a number of different possible tracks of work that we can undertake to develop a, a vigorous discussion at the annual conference. And that takes the form of a survey. We'll usually put out um, a survey that presents 25 different topics typically organized into um, a, a handful of broader issue areas and ask the, the broader community to indicate which ones they are interested in hearing about, which ones they're interested in speaking about, and which ones they're interested in helping to develop. And based on those results, we typically break out into eight or nine uh, tracks to um, develop working groups that craft uh, unique conversations around the selected topics that um, bring in a wide range of perspectives and diversity, including um, ensuring stakeholder balance that includes members of civil society, um, the private sector, government representatives, and others. And so that um, process is um, a labor of love for sure, but um, a lot of times not only do you get the fantastic outcome of the sessions that we have at the IGF USA each year. But you also have fascinating conversations in the buildup to that in terms of figuring out how you boil down a complex topic into a 75 minute session while bringing in stakeholder diversity, uh, regional diversity, um, and, and inclusive representation. And so that's been uh that is always a, a really insightful and interesting process um as far as how that has changed um we have moved in recent years to an entirely virtual planning process uh we've always embraced the hybrid model um uh, at least as long as i've been involved all of our steering committee meetings and group meetings have had um, virtual participation as an option. Um, but we went entirely virtual, uh, which, uh, kind of levels the, the playing field of contribution and has, has allowed a lot more people to get involved in the planning process and a lot more people from different areas outside of DC, which, uh, has contributed to our ongoing goal of, uh, expanding the thinking beyond the the beltway. Thank you so much, Dustin, for doing this rundown of the organizing process. Um, I would like to turn to Jeremy and hear his um, thoughts and uh, some, you know, insights into his experience of uh, joining the organizing of IGVSA 2022. Because he mentioned that he reached out to you um, to learn about some opportunities to volunteer and uh, also love to hear his perspective on um, how was the conference this year and uh, how was it to to join it as a participant yeah thank you mary um so i just wanted to first start off with saying that um, the organizing process of the igf usa uh, is both a very bizarre ritual but also a very beautiful display of democratic participation uh, and coordination. I mean, I think could be looked at as uh, 
maybe an example of how we can progress further in other fields um, by pushing multi-stakeholder participation. And to kind of demystify that, because it is jargony, to say that there should be more people uh, that are having a voice and having uh, a viewpoint that's being expressed in these broader conversations that have material impact on every end user. Uh, We all live in various systems, whether um, it's the town we live in or the internet that we uh, exist on, but the ways in which we express and vote on our choices uh, seem to be uh, insufficient. And so I think uh, kudos to the internet governance movement and towards the IGF USA. There is a beautiful egalitarian process uh, demonstrated by this kind of shared coordination of uh, ideas, values, and and um, and themes. Um, and so I was involved from the early end of that process. And subjectively, what I was interested in, or I guess self-interested in, was ways in which we could talk about youth on the internet. Um, I. I am somebody who is a member of uh, the youngest generation, um, Gen Z, uh, and I'm particularly interested in the ways in which users from that demographic group uh, occupy space online, um, have a voice in the policy outcomes online, um, and other questions related to, um, you know, internet governance work. And I think that I realized that if it was to come together in the form of just another theme within the broader IGF USA event, uh, that topic might be diluted in a way. Um, And so I was interested in taking a different route, uh, which led to the Youth IGF USA event, um, as a way to center the voices of younger people. who are new either to the space or uh, have a different experience online than the older generations do uh, and to try to push their voices farther uh, than historically they've been allowed to go. Um, That's the first part. Uh, The second part of your question, Mary, about uh, participating versus organizing uh, is really fun because you almost get this uh, very um, sweet experience of knowing the tremendous amount of work that somebody like Dustin puts in uh, and knowing how much relief (laughs) Dustin is probably feeling as the day is going on and the flow is happening. Uh, But then you also see it from the side of, wow, this is a really interesting composition of what is going on in the national sphere and in the international sphere, in a sense, uh, related to issues with the internet and the surrounding infrastructure and policy. And I think uh, that that's always a fascinating bird's eye view sort of look into things because uh, we don't often get that uh, comprehensive um overview of something as myriad and big and uh, complex as the internet space. Uh, so being a participant is a, is a very wonderful experience. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jeremy. I definitely join both of you in uh, encouraging people to join both as organizers and participants. And I cannot uh, agree more with Dustin's point from earlier about uh, having real um, representation and uh, participation from everyone and having all voices uh, be heard. But before we go to uh, Youth IGF USA, I would love to hear Dustin's um, maybe main takeaways or some, you know, action items from this year's IGF USA as one of the co-chairs of uh, Internet Governance Forum USA. Yeah, thanks, Mary. And um, I think. Jeremy captured a little bit of this. Um, 
and I'll start here that the IGF USA is really unique, not just in its composition and process, but I'm not familiar with another forum that goes as broad as the IGF USA does on issues facing the the global internet. And so there is really, um, if you care about these issues at all, something that will pique your interest. Um, I mean, this year alone, uh, the topics ranged from discussions around content moderation, um, uh, talking about encrypted messaging platforms, the security of IoT and our critical infrastructure, digital identity and the role of attributes, a forward-looking session on our visions for the future and uh, how we enable uh, emerging technologies to unlock that, discussions around uh, the role of competition and antitrust policy and the future of online markets, discussions around broadband and digital equity, not just now, but in the future, and uh, discussions around privacy and uh, and then rounded, rounding all of this out, a discussion around the global interconnected single internet and whether or not uh, it can avoid fragmentation and survive the uh, geopolitics and other factors that we are seeing threaten this cohesive internet. Um, Unfortunately, in all of this, um, uh, I haven't had a chance to tune in to all of these sessions because uh, some of them run concurrently and uh, by virtue of uh, running the the conference, um, I find myself getting pulled in a lot of different directions during some of the sessions. So um, I know that they were all great. The parts that I heard were all um, fantastic. And we do have recordings of everything that are up. So I would encourage anyone to go watch those. But I'll speak a little bit to um, some of the sessions that I was able to actively participate in. Um, And this ties into some of my work outside of the Internet Governance Forum uh, world. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about, um, uh, the broadband and digital equity side of things. Um, and, uh, that, that conversation started off, we kind of kicked off the morning with a fireside chat that I moderated with, uh, Alan Davidson, who is the assistant secretary for commerce and communications and, uh, um, and information with the uh, NTIA and um, the NTIA is tasked with administering this historic amount of funding that we're seeing for broadband digital equity, $48 billion. And so as, as we think about what this massive investment means and how we actually see the impact, um, he spoke about uh the the importance of looking at how this funding can not only address the the rural communities where they know we know that of course that there is a divide but also um doing as much as possible to meet the needs of urban communities and tribal communities as well um and in this process um really focus he really focused on the importance of local communities in identifying where the gaps are and what the solutions are and the importance of the consultation with those communities and determining how these funds are, are allocated and deployed to actually get the infrastructure out to everyone that needs it 
as well as to drive the adoption and uh, application of these broadband internet services to bring people online to access all of the critical services that they need that <laughs> that we fight for with the rest of these discussions at the Internet Governance Forum USA um, and all of the benefits that the internet can bring. Um, so we talked a lot about that and then uh, focused a little bit on the need for better data, not just in informing how money is allocated now, but informing what what works and what doesn't work in this process so that um, the the future attempts can be better informed by the um, the outcomes that we see in in these current programs such as uh, such as bead and so um, there was a lot of discussion around data and broadband availability and digital equity indicators and that also tied into a conversation that we had in the afternoon during the breakouts uh, where we brought in local leaders in the broadband and digital equity space to talk about the, the disconnects between what local communities need and the way that these large federal programs can be structured and talking about the ways in which um, putting those decisions in the hands of the community and using better data is essential to actually seeing the on-the-ground change that we need for true digital equity. Um, and I, there was one thing uh, during the Q&A that came up that I thought was really interesting around um, a question someone asked about what does digital equity look like and how do we know if we've reached it? And um, one of the speakers basically put it very well that the digital, the digital divide or digital inequities will always exist. It's just a matter of how we measure them and how we look at them. Even if everyone's connected, there are going to be inequities in that experience and access to services. Um, so this is a job that is never done. Um, and I, I've, I've heard other conversations recently around um, uh, equating this to building, building a road. When you build a road, um, you don't say it's done. And for anyone who uh, drives the BW Parkway, they know that to be true. Because when people aren't repairing it, it becomes one of the least enjoyable driving experiences that I've ever had. Um, so this is this is a job that's that's never done, and I think that is true of all of these topics that we focus on. Um, it's about making progress and making things better um, for the internet, but most importantly for the people that rely on the internet and recognizing that. These conversations, um, as much as uh, I would like to look back on some of them and say, like, all right, we don't need to talk about this one anymore. Um, that's just not the case. Um, and so much of that is, is important to empower local communities. But then there's also this important aspect at the global level and making sure that all of these things continue to actually work and interoperate. Um, and that was another thing, like I said, we closed out the conference with a discussion about how the internet can survive war and geopolitics. And, um, and uh, in uh, opening fireside chat, Alan Davidson spoke about the importance of the multi-stakeholder model and the um, this framework of the open internet that we need to keep pushing and keep fighting for because it's so critical to our society and to our world and um, and uh, 
And then we also look at the, even if you don't call it fragmentation, the kind of um, patchwork of laws that we're seeing in the U.S. that uh, create potentially different experiences between um, the uh, availability of access to certain platforms, experiences, and information across state lines and the and uh, uh, Alan Davidson uh, called out the importance and benefit of a uh, comprehensive federal privacy law and what that would mean not only for uh, a more cohesive internet within the U.S., but also for the um, the leadership of the the U.S. on a global scale in advocating for this global open internet. And so um, we're still waiting on the reports from these sessions. And so keep an eye out for those. Uh, so I can't speak a whole lot to key takeaways because those need to come from the groups that organized these sessions. But I can say that the key takeaway is that this work is always ongoing never done and requires uh, fresh perspectives and new people to get involved and uh, would encourage all of you to uh, join us in continuing to build on these conversations. Thank you, Dustin. This was a wonderful recap. Uh, and uh, I can't agree more that every year we just get more topics and more issues. Uh, and I don't really see that any of the issues are you know retired um, and this is me speaking from a six years six year long experience in this space um, but in any case I, I will also characterize this space as a work in progress so more things are coming up uh, but it's always interesting and uh, definitely very important now I would love to go back to um, use IGF USA that uh, Jeremy already alluded to and uh, hear more about how this initiative came along and how was how was it to organize um and you know also be present at the first um, inaugural uh, youth igf usa yeah thank you mary um so i first want to start by saying that the igf or the youth igf usa uh was a product of the people who worked on it um and so the people that I fundamentally am grateful for uh, and are responsible for this are Mary, who is uh, hosting today, uh, and McKenna Bachman, um, who is sort of the secret sauce for everything IGF USA um, and will have an illustrious career uh, in internet policy if she chooses to down the road with all of the connections that she has. Um, but to organize the, the Youth IGF USA was a real treat for me. Um, I come from a background of organizing hackathons, uh, which are less glamorous in my opinion because um, they aren't as generative and um, thought-provoking. Um, I, think, I think one of the great things about being able to participate in internet governance is you're constantly around extremely intelligent very thought-provoking and well-natured people. Um, kind of what I had said earlier, it's, it's volunteers who do hold prominent positions, uh, whether it's in civil society or in uh, law and advocacy groups or like Alan Davidson in the, in the government. Um, there are all these really interesting people from all walks of life who have specialized knowledge bases uh, that are contributing both to this one thing, the event, but also in the process are passing on all this specialized knowledge about topics that, that do matter to everybody. And like Dustin was saying about digital equity and broadband, you know, by not participating in these conversations and in these organizing committees, whether it's for the youth event or the broader event, you're not exposed to some of the challenges that are required to build out this digital age um, in a way that's equitable uh, for everybody. And so to me, the, the big ex 
experience of organizing is to be around people who are amazing and um, occupy really interesting places in society uh, and want to have an impact. And to me, that's a very inspiring thing. Thanks for sharing that, Jeremy. And I would also add that it was a treat to work with you and McKenna and um, organize this uh, inaugural event. Um, I would also love to hear Dustin's impressions uh, from the sessions um, and any thoughts on the future of this initiative, if you already had time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I want to thank um, all of you, Jeremy, Mary, and, and McKenna, uh, and all the effort that you put into the youth IGF USA. Um, it was such a wonderful thing to see this come together and be entirely youth led. And uh, I think it's a great first step to carving out a critical space for uh, those discussions to happen and to bring more interest into um, these initiatives. So um, a huge, huge thank you and round of applause for that. Um, and certainly looking forward to seeing where that goes. And, um, and of course, what, whatever the IGF USA can do to help foster and support that. Um, and so I think... Um, what's what's next on that front uh is uh up to the youth and i look forward to seeing that but then what is next for the igf usa um we are wrapping up this year's process that will culminate in uh, the submission of reports for each session that will be submitted to the uh, global igf and uh, we try to carry forward as many of these conversations to that global discussion, um, which this year will be held in Ethiopia um, with both an in-person and virtual participation option available. Um, so that's kind of the short-term next steps in, in rounding out the 2022 process. Um, the give you a little bit of a preview for what to expect in 2023. Um, I won't uh, reveal any spoilers or make any guarantees, but um, I will say that um, there has long been a discussion around um, moving the IGF USA around and uh, trying to host it outside of DC. Um, so far, that has not been done, I guess, with the exception of the two years of virtual conferences that we had. Um, but next year, we have high hopes that we might be able to work with a hosting entity to have it in, uh, let's just say, a different time zone. Um, I won't reveal any more than that, but... Uh, um, I will certainly keep everyone updated and encourage you to um, get involved and uh, stay in the loop and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you all in uh, January 2023 as we kick off the planning and then uh, later on in the year when we have our event at a currently undetermined location. I definitely will be looking forward to uh, reading those news. So thank you both. This was a very insightful conversation. I hope our audience learned a lot about uh, internet governance in general and the uh, community in US. And to close us off, I have one last question. So we had a lot of calls for action um, during our discussion, but I would love to hear your um, few tips uh, to people that are newcomers or People have never heard of internet governance and stumbled upon this podcast episode and would love to get involved. Uh, what are the steps they need to undertake? Let's start with Jeremy. Yeah, so I am somebody in your shoes, first of all. Um, I am somebody who maybe a year and a half ago didn't know anything about this space and now I'm on a podcast about it. Um, 
So I would say, don't be afraid to take opportunities and to reach out to people uh, like me or Dustin or Mary. Um, the community is really welcoming. And I think if there's anything that I can say in the form of a call to action is your voice matters. Um, your participation matters. Part of the issues that we're facing in the internet space uh, and in the broader governance space is that there are not enough voices that are coming from non-institutional spaces. And so if you are a young person that occupies um, you know, any space in the world um, and you want to participate and have an impact on the future of a public good like the internet, you can. Um, and there are various organizations like the Internet Society or ICANN or even the regional internet registries like Aaron or whatever region you do come from uh, that will help you and platform you into uh, opportunities and uh, future success in this field. Yeah, I agree with everything that uh, Jeremy just said. Um, don't be afraid to reach out. I've often said to uh, folks trying to get involved that uh, if I had one piece of advice, don't be afraid to send an email um, and see if you can just have a conversation with somebody. Um, and don't be afraid to raise your hand and, and get involved in the opportunities that arise out of that. And some of those are with the IGF USA. Uh, so in a practical step, uh, you can go to igfusa.us and uh, sign up for a mailing list, listserv, and keep an eye out for opportunities to participate in the call for topics, um, the planning process, and to attend the, the event and get to know a lot of the members of this community by working side by side with them. And um, I guess I'll just leave it at that because I think that's a good um, entry point. And I think Jeremy really did a good job of uh, capturing the best way to go about this. That all sounds great and I can't agree more. And we'll also make sure to include all the links and um, resources mentioned during this discussion. So I'd love to thank you both again um, and uh, hope our audience will be encouraged to join IGF USA and uh, internet governance in general. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Be sure to check out The Foundry on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. It really helps out the show. If you're interested in supporting the show, reach out to us at foundrypodcasts at ilpfoundry.us. You can find our email in the show notes as well. You can see the full show notes and download the episode transcript for every episode on our website, ilpfoundry.us slash podcast. The Tech Policy Grind podcast comes out every Thursday. See you next time. The Tech Policy Grind podcast was created by the fellows at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. It's produced and edited by me, Rima Musa, with support from the incredible Foundry fellows. Special thanks to Lama Muhammad, Allison McReynolds, and Mary Bagdasarian for their support in bringing this episode to air.